So Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the, covenant, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's a long couple sentences by Paul there. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we, again, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the body. We thank you that we are able to meet, even in the midst of uh, the mess with COVID and so many other churches who cannot meet and, and open up your word, um, but have to, have to do so digitally. We thank you that even in the midst of it, Lord, that we are able to come. Um, we thank you that you have sustained us. We thank you that you have... Um, just continue to protect this town even uh, with, with the amount of people that have come and gone and the amount of stuff that's happened in other places. We just thank you that you continue to, um, in a sense, uh, put a bubble around this already bubbled town. So we just thank you, Lord. We, we pray for those who aren't here. We pray for those who are sick, uh, the shut-ins. Um, just continue to sustain them, Lord. Continue to to, to knit their bodies back together or continue to comfort them as they as they age and as, as their bodies, Lord, under the weight of, of this um, mortal world, Lord, as they groan, uh, just grant them hope as they continue to walk and help them to finish well. So just open up uh, your word to us, Lord. Come and uh, work in our hearts and work in our minds so that we may know you more, so that we, we may worship you rightly, so that we may know you in truth. And we thank you for the cross and what you've done on it. We thank you for Christ. In his name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Um, I totally forgot to ask for prayer requests. If there's any that came into my mind. But um, if there are any, just let me know at the end and we'll pray at the end for sure. So this is Ephesians, the last little chunk of Ephesians 2. I, I'm going to give, there's a lot of information here, but it all, as I paint the picture, it'll all come around and, and kind of tie in together. So what God is doing, predestining us for adoption, predestining us for an inheritance, he's making us one people in Christ. And where at the, at the first part of, of Ephesians 2, Paul is talking about how 
we were dead in our trespasses and sins and how God did something there. What he's talking about here is how we were separated from God, separated from his covenants, and, and we'll get into that, and how, how God is changing that and changing us and bringing us into that covenant. So the first thing is the therefore, and therefores are always important. Therefore, this is verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, etc., etc., and then he goes into it. So in order to understand what Paul is saying here, we have to understand why the therefore is therefore, what the therefore is therefore, and he says therefore, in a sense, going back to even chapter, the beginning of chapter 2, because you were dead, therefore, because you were dead and have been made alive, remember, remember this. Here, pay attention to what's next. Because of what I have just said, pay attention to what's next. Therefore, remember, or because you have been saved by grace, remember what I'm about to say. And what does he say? He says, remember who you were. Therefore, because you are saved by grace, because I have raised you from the dead, because you were dead in your trespasses and sins and I made you alive, remember, you also were, verses 11 and 12, Gentiles in the flesh. And I want to unpack that a little bit so it helps us understand. It goes back to Genesis 12 and what, what God says to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says, leave your country and go to where I'm going to tell you and I will make of you a great nation. I'll read, it's basically just Genesis verses uh, 1 to 3, 12 verses 1 to 3. And God makes this amazing promise that, that we see unfolding throughout the entire Old Testament. So everything in the Old Testament that happens points back to this, Genesis 12, and then points back again to Genesis 3 where, where God says, like talking about the Messiah, he says, I'm going to cause the man to bruise the serpents, uh, the heel of the man to bruise the serpent. And that's, a, that's a, another sermon. But this is Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is, this is the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12. Then throughout the entire Old Testament, everything Israel does, what happens is it points back to this. When God is, is angry at his people for their sin, for their unfaithfulness, for their idolatry, what he says, what his prophets say is, Lord, remember your promises. And he says, I will remember my promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He points back to this, this covenant in Genesis 12. So what that means is when, here in Ephesians, when, when Paul is saying, remember at one time, you Gentiles, what he's doing is he separating the Gentiles from the Jews. He's saying, you Gentiles, called the uncircumcision, and if you don't know what the circumcision is, just ask your parents when you get home. So, you know, that, if that, that was in my head if the kids were here, but they're not here. So, um, Paul is saying, you Gentiles, remember who you were. You were Gentiles, unclean. So the Israelites, all through uh, just the Pentateuch, the first five books, there's all these laws, all these stipulations that they have to follow in order to stay clean. First of all, they've been given a promise. God has made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And out of Jacob comes Joseph, and out of Joseph comes 
uh, sorry, out of Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. So we've got all of the Israelites that come out of Abraham, out of this promise in Genesis 12. So that's one place where they're separate. They are God's people. And what that means is that anyone who is not an Israelite is not God's people. And then the Israelites have all these laws, all these ceremonial and um, all these ceremonial laws that help to keep them clean. And then they've got all the moral laws as well to help keep them right. So basically clean and blameless. You know, they're not allowed to eat pork. They have to, we call it kosher now, but they didn't call it kosher back then. But they have certain dietary regulations. They have certain distance regulations. They were the, the first physical distancers, social distancers, if you want to call it that. They, they couldn't get too close to a dead body, whether an animal or, um, or human. And, and a lot of that goes back to cleanliness. So, to paint the picture, we've got the Israelites who are called, who are made God's people by God, who are separated out of the world. And then they're clean. They have all of these practices and ceremonies to make sure that they are clean and righteous before the Lord. And a sign of that is circumcision. All of the Israelites were circumcised at eight days old. So then you've got this people over here. I got a little picture to help us. We've got this people over here, the Jews. Under the covenant from Genesis 12, they are God's people. They are clean. And then you've got the Gentiles who have no covenant. They are not God's people. They are outside of the circle of life, in a sense. They are unclean. So Paul says here, remember at one time, you Gentiles, and it's derogatory. Here's Israel. Here's an Israelite named Paul, blameless, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And it's the idea, it's, it's the realities of Israel looking at the Gentiles as unclean. These people are not, under, are not God's people. They're not under God's covenant. They're dirty. They're filthy dogs. That's what it says in scripture over and over again. The Gentiles are likened as dirty, filthy dogs. Unclean dogs. You Gentile dogs. Ask me about that after because I got a whole bunch more things running through my head, but I don't want to go there and confuse us more, but... You've got the Jews, God's people, clean. And then you've got Gentiles, not God's people, unclean. And Paul is saying, remember that you, dirty Gentiles, who were called the uncircumcised, the unclean, who were called not God's people by God's people. See, there's this, there's this huge dividing line that has happened where the, where the Israelites say, we are God's people, we are clean, you are not God's people. You are unclean. So that's, that's what Paul is saying at, at first. That's the first thing he says. But now you are, so if I'll go back. Remember, not only were you dead in your trespasses and sins, which we covered last week, but remember that you are or were Gentile dogs. It's like serious. This is heavy stuff. You were filthy, unclean, outside of God's covenant people. You did not belong. But then what happens? Going to Ephesians 2 verse 4, what happens after Paul says, hey, remember you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You followed the course of the world. You followed the devil. You followed the spirit of the age. And then he says in verse 4, but God. Even though you were this, God did this. And he says the same thing in verse 13. Remember, you were Gentile dogs. You were unclean. Verse 13. But now, 
in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's this, this picture that Paul is painting. And it, he, goes, he goes bigger. So he's, at first he's talking about sins and trespasses. And now he's talking about our heritage. He's talking about race. He's talking about the Israelites versus the Gentiles. And what he's doing is he's talking about how that dividing wall of hostility is broken in Christ. He's saying that we've been brought near. Verse 14, verse 13, sorry. You who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 14, he himself is our peace. What has he done? He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And at first we could think that this dividing wall of hostility is between us and God, but that's not the context. The context is that the dividing wall of hostility between God's people, Israelites, and not God's people, the Gentiles. And what Christ has done in his flesh has broken down that dividing wall that separates them. And he is creating one people in himself. Here's what it looks like. So this is what it did look like. We have God's people who are clean and not God's people who are unclean. But Christ's death, this is just one thing that that Christ's death accomplished. That. It made Gentiles into God's people. We have been brought near. We have been, the, the dividing wall of hostility has been removed. Christ has worked in this world in such a way that at, at one time, God had his people. I want to make sure I'm doing, oh, I keep, I'm messing it up, sorry. I'm doing Jews and Gentiles over here. On my screen, it's on this side. So we've got God's people, and what he's done is he's canceled everything and said, I'm no longer doing this. As he says in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, I am going to make one people. I'm going to put my heart in them. Give them a new heart and put my heart and my spirit in them. That's what I'm going to do. Deuteronomy 19 and, uh, 19 and 31, Moses prophesies about it too, how God is going to make a people who aren't his people to be his people. What, is this, what does this mean? This is just this information. But what does it mean? It means that what Christ did on the cross makes us God's people. It's not that there's such a thing as the Jews and the Gentiles, and now there's Gentile believers and there's Jewish believers. No, Christ divided that wall. He broke down the wall, like the Berlin Wall. He broke it down. There is now no separation. Turn to Romans 11 just quick, and then I'll, I'll put up another picture. So this is, this is Paul explaining, and, and if you want a, a deeper look, read Romans 9 to 12. Um, but in Romans 11, Paul is talking about what God has done with, uh, with the Gentiles. I won't read all of it, but I'll just read some verses 17 to 24, basically. So here Paul is talking about the promises that were made to Israel. In, verse, in chapter 9, he starts talking about the promises that God made to Israel. But then there's Christians who are, who are in Christ asking Paul, well, what about Israel? Why isn't Israel part of your new covenant? And Paul says, just wait. The promises are not in vain. God still has his people and they will come. You, this is what he says here, you as a Gentile 
have simply been grafted in to the tree. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. If you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, now Paul's calling Gentiles wild, not, not like a nice, nicely pruned olive tree. He's calling them a wild olive tree that just grows wherever it wants and, and doesn't put out good fruit. If you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, these natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So Paul's saying here is that what God has done in, bringing, in, in Christ dying and breaking down that dividing wall of hostility, God has made one people, both Jews and Gentiles. He has taken the Gentiles and hasn't given them Christ. He has taken the Gentiles and has brought them into the covenant of the Jews. Does that make sense? That's huge, that's huge stuff for us understanding what God has done and understanding the gospel. He is taking what is unclean, the Gentiles, and has made them clean through Christ, breaking down the wall and bringing them into his covenant with Israel, in a sense. Not making us the new Israel, because Israel is still a nation and they will be a nation, but making, adopting us. That's what it means to be adopted. The Israelites are his true children. If we, if we use that analogy, and then us are, we are adopted. The Gentiles are adopted. There's a, lo- there's a lot there. But how do we apply it? Where does it come in to, what does it come in to bear? How do we as Christians, who are in God's covenant, part of the new covenant that, that comes out of the old covenant, how do we live in that reality? Well, it's what, what Paul says next is the big picture stuff. So he first says that this is what God has done, and this is what he's doing, and this is what he is making you into. He says in verse 16, Jesus, what he has done, he has reconciled us to God through the cross, only through the cross. There is no other way. All have, that were under sin have been saved and made alive in Christ. Verse 18, now, because we are in Christ, we have access to the Father. Verse 18, we have access to the Father. Verse 20, Christ is our cornerstone. We are a temple of God that he is building. He's creating one people to be his temple. So it's not this separation between between the Jews and the Gentiles. It's one people. One race, one group, no separation. 
But what God does is, what Paul says in Romans 3, is that all are under sin. So it's not even saying the Jews and the Gentiles are different. It's not saying that the Jews are better and the Gentiles are worse off, so they need to do more. Paul says in Romans 3 that all are under sin. So Christ's flesh broke down the wall of hostility that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. And then God said, you are all under sin. The Jews are not better off because they have the covenant, because they have the promises. The promises. The Jews are not better off than the Gentiles, than the unclean, dirty dog Gentiles, because all are under sin. All fall short. Every single person. This is how God makes his people. So it's no longer Jews and Gentiles with a dividing wall of hostility. It's those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. That is where the dividing wall is. The Jews and the Gentiles who are in Christ are God's people. And the Jews and the Gentiles who are not in Christ are not God's people. Again, this goes back to Romans 9, 10 and 11, where Paul says not all Israel is Israel. And what he means by that is just because you're Abraham's child in the flesh doesn't mean you're truly Israel. It goes down to our hearts. That's another, that's another topic as well. So what God has done, what Paul is saying here, is that Christ has broken down the wall of hostility to make of everyone, Jew and Gentile, one person, to graft the Gentile into the covenants of God. And this is where the rubber hits the road. Because we can't end there. Because what does Paul say? He says that we are what? A household of God. You are no longer strangers and aliens. You were a stranger to the covenants of God. You were an alien. In, in verse, what is it? In verse, uh, Ephesians 2 verse, 2 verse 3. You were children of wrath. Verse, um, verse, verse 12. Without God and without hope in this world. That's the, that's the picture. But no longer are we that. No longer are we without God. No longer are we without hope. No longer are we strangers. No longer are we aliens to the covenant because of what Christ has done. You are no longer strangers and aliens, verse 19. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here's the picture of the church. People that God has saved, people that God has given a new heart and a new mind, people that God has caused to be born again, people that God has adopted to be predestined to an inheritance for the glory of his son. People who are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens. This is the household of God. This house is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's not built on opinion. It's not built on preference. It's not built on what we think might work best. It's built on the word of God. The apostles and prophets is basically the epistles in the New Testament and the prophets refers to the Old Testament. It's based on the word of God with Christ himself being the cornerstone of our house. And as the household of God, we are growing into a temple of the Lord. 
That's what, that's what Paul is saying is the church. It's this big picture of what God has done, calling people to himself, removing the line between Jews and Gentiles, saying there's no longer any separation between them. The only separation is whether you're in Christ or you're not in Christ, whether your sins have been covered by the blood or your sins haven't been covered by the blood. This is an image of the church growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, that is in Christ, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The picture of the church, the body of Christ, growing together as a dwelling place for God. And as we'll look at next week in 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church, as the household of God, is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So where, where it hits the road is we have to ask ourselves, this picture that Paul is painting, this image that he is giving us of the church, of what we're called to, of what we're supposed to look like, is this body a household of God? Is this body a holy temple? Is this body a dwelling place for God? Those are the questions we always have to ask ourselves. Not just us, but every church, every local body has to seriously ask these questions. Just like when we look at Galatians 5 and we test ourselves by, by Scripture and look at Galatians 5 and ask ourselves whether we're, we're exhibiting the works of the flesh or whether we're exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And we test ourselves by that. And so as a church, we look at this and we say, is this us? And then if it's not, then we repent and we turn. And we pray and we weep and we, we look at Scripture and see what it says and, and, and we, we work at being the body. Opening up scripture and seeing what do we do as a church? Who are we as a church? But the good news is, is that there's never a church in the history of the world that can say yes to all of these at all times. I wasn't going to go there, but I'll finish with Revelation. Uh, we'll do Revelation chapter 2 and 3. So there's seven churches in the beginning of, of um, Revelation. Jesus is speaking to seven churches. And the, the, the idea is that all seven churches, it's not specific churches only, but it's especially seven being, being the Lord's complete number. What, what it really means is that, okay, there's, here's these types of churches. There are seven types of churches, and they're representative of, of each church in these locations. So we've got Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Cyrus, Philadelphia, um, and, and Laodicea. And, and what Jesus says to these churches is not, not pretty. So regardless of what we look like as a church, there's always hope, right? Because there's always grace. And no church is ever going to be perfect because we're a bunch of sinners who need grace. So as we ask ourselves these questions, and we, we say no, maybe here, maybe not, as we look at these, we turn to Christ and we rely on grace. Here's, here's, what, here's what Jesus says. I know this is to the church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear the, with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently. I know that you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, from where you have fallen, 
Here's the but and the remembers again. But I have this against you. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Repent. To the church in Smyrna, I know your tribulation and your poverty and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are synagogue of Satan. This is the only church who kind of really gives a good report. He basically just says, be faithful, continue on and be faithful. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. Why did they get thrown in prison? For preaching the gospel. But be faithful to death and I will give you the crown of life. I won't read all of them, but it's, it's just a picture of the church as a whole. Regardless of where it is, it's always going to be broken. But to live in that brokenness is, is unacceptable. That's where, that's where we stand. Not us as a church, but as, as people, as Christians, who want to be a local body, who want to be a household of God. That's where we stand. To the church in Laodicea, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I do not need anything. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Buy gold from me, gold that is refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and, and, and clothe the shame of your nakedness. Buy salve to anoint your eyes. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Those whom I love, I reprove and I, dis and, and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. The entire scripture is God disciplining us, reproving us, encouraging us, bringing us on, bringing us to Christ every time. It's because he loves us. A father disciplines a son he loves. A mother disciplines a daughter she loves. The Lord disciplines us because he loves us. If he didn't discipline us and reprove, he didn't love us. But discipline's hard and it sucks. And sometimes discipline isn't always just because we're doing something bad. If I wanted to be a good hockey player, I'd have to eat right and exercise and train all things that include self-control and discipline. But I didn't really want to do any of that, so I didn't become a good occupier. But I didn't do those things because I was bad. It was doing those things to make me into what I needed to be. So when discipline comes, when the Lord brings us discipline, each of us individually or as a church, first thing we have to remember is that he loves us. And that's why it's coming. The second thing we need to remember is repent if we need to repent. Kind of rambling now, so I'll, there's a million things on my brain, but let's let's pray and 
and sing. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Um, thank you for who you are. That, that even in the midst of this, Lord, your, 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 your word does not return to you void. And in the midst of, of our bumbling as a church, and in the midst of my bumbling as a pastor, Lord, in the midst of all of our bumbling around in our sins, in our apathy, in our lack of care, Lord, in our lack of desire, in our lack of understanding, in our lack of knowledge, in the midst of all of this, you are still good and faithful, and you still sustain us. And you have sustained this church. Not because of how great we are. Not because of the mighty works that we have done, Lord. But because you are faithful. So we thank you for your faithfulness. For your grace and your mercy that you continually bestow upon us. Lord, come and change us. Change our hearts. Continue to mold us into the image of Christ. In his name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Embers in the Dark. I hope it was edifying and that, that it was able to help you grow in the knowledge of the truth. Have a good week.